The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930. Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. Low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and fighting. McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's up, Notre Dame fans? It's uh, game week here. I uh, haven't been able to say that here in a while, but I'm, I'm sure we're all excited, kind of bittersweet to an extent without having a uh, another game on the schedule after this one. But uh, as you guys all know, here in about about 48 hours, a little less than that, Notre Dame is going to be taking on Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, you know, hope everybody had a, a happy uh, holidays, uh, you know, continued holidays here through the uh, through the new year. And then obviously on New Year's Day is when everything is going to go down. Um, but uh, obviously you're, you're, you're listening to the golden homers podcast. Of course, if you stumbled upon us, that's great. If you're a regular listener, that's awesome as well. Um, I'm your host, Nathan Erbach. I'm here with my uh, co-host, uh, Mason Plummer, as always. Um, Mason, I mean, I, as I said, it's already, you know, it's game week. And like I mentioned, it's bittersweet, you know, with no other game, you know, remaining on the schedule, but you know, it's, this is kind of what you live for. I mean, it's not a college football playoff, but you know, at the end of the year, you know, you know that you're going to end up in, you know, some type of bowl. Um, if you're a Notre Dame fan, at least in most years, and you hope it's a new year's six bowl or, or better. So um, what are kind of your thoughts leading up to, up to Saturday's game? Yeah. Bowl games are always exciting, but I feel this you know extra excitement. I'm not usually a guy that's like counting down the days until a game, you know, I kind of let it happen because I enjoy, you know, reading the news and everything that happens before the game, but I've been counting down to Marcus Freeman's first game for, you know, ever since the news broke. So I can say I'm more excited for this than I would be if it was a Brian Kelly led team. I'm just excited to see kind of what the differences are going to be. I don't think we're going to see anything massive, but um, seeing, seeing Freeman kind of calling the shots is going to be cool. So I'm really excited for this game. It's a unique matchup. Oklahoma State and Notre Dame have not ever faced each other, which is rare to say for Notre Dame, considering the the national scheduling it is done in, in its history. So uh, really cool, a little, little bit of history there, first ever matchup. And then it's set to be a really good game, too, with some interesting individual matchups, you know, in, in, in terms of position groups and that kind of thing, which we'll get into. So Oklahoma State's a good team. I think Notre Dame's really good as well. So uh, it should be a really good game. And really hoping that Notre Dame gets off the schneid and can get that New Year's Six Bowl win. So, because I'm just tired of hearing people talk about that, that offer, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think every Notre Dame fan, it's, if you're, if, if you're on a live show like me and you have ever have, have been on in the past, you know, it, the, there's multiple things that come up. I mean, join a, join a conference comes up. I mean, that's obviously on Twitter as well. Um, you know, having won a big game gets blown out and, you know, in, uh, and uh, whenever they play a big game, so on and so forth is, you know, haven't won a championship since 1988. So it, it, a lot of stuff comes up when, when it's Notre Dame, but certainly talked about um, <laughs> at nauseum and, 
you know, Notre Dame is, is a talked about team, whether they're hated or whether they're loved, which I guess is, is good to an extent. I mean, you look at NBC ratings, you look at, you know, whatever, when they're playing on ABC or, or ESPN or, or wherever they end up playing on the ratings always go through the roof. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, and I'm sure the, <laughs> I'm sure the Fiesta Bowl will be no different. Yeah. You love them or you hate them. And, um, you know, the people that love them obviously love to watch them win, and the people that hate them love to watch them lose. So you're getting both sides regardless. So, uh, you know, what, where, whichever side you're on, you're watching. So that's big. So um, I'm I, as you were talking there, I'm just thinking already that people are going to immediately discredit Oklahoma State because they're not a perennial contender necessarily. So, oh, you know, Notre Dame got – this not a big game. They only beat Oklahoma State. I'm already thinking of the storylines in my head that I'm going to have done. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, it's fine. I actually saw it. Um, I, I was looking at a chief barstool tweet today and someone responded to it and the guy, it, it was kind of the similar stuff that Notre Dame's irrelevant, blah, blah, blah. Haven't won a big game in forever. And I looked at his Twitter profile, just, you know, just out of curiosity and like in his Twitter bio, it said, hate Notre, everything Notre Dame or something. And I'm like, man, like what kind of life do you have to live to have that in your Twitter bio? But again, it just points to the fact that Notre Dame is, is talked about whether they're loved or hated well yeah and you know how much real estate Notre Dame has in that dude's head to have that you know what you're thinking of a bio you know family guy love this whatever and to put in your bio that you hate Notre Dame that much like that's some that's some clown stuff (laughs) yeah absolutely but uh, I want to go to something you said and I think this is what makes the bowl game exciting it like the new era the Freeman era his first game as a head coach I think I mentioned on our spaces yesterday that it's somewhat going to have the feeling of maybe not his first game. I mean, I think it will go down as a 1-0 or 0-1 record for him um, as a head coach uh, because he was announced before the bowl game. He's he's coaching the bowl game as the head coach, not the interim head coach. But I do think it's somewhat going to have that feel um, for it. And it kind of goes back to what you said in regards to you know, the idea that things aren't going to change drastically. Um, I think that, you know, moving forward to next year when they play Ohio State, you know, opening weekend, you, know, you might see some things that are drastically changed, whether that be philosophically, you know, on both sides of the football, you know, types of play calling, like maybe Tommy Reese has so much more autonomy that the offenses look significantly different. Uh, maybe without Freeman being the defensive coordinator, you see some tweaks there. Whoever is going to be the defensive coordinator, I don't know. But for the bowl game specifically, regardless if someone like Freeman is calling the plays or not, I think his his uh, he's going to be so so involved in the game plan and in the play calling in general that, like you said, it's just there's not going to be m- many differences overall, and it's still going to be sort of a Brian Kelly esque. You know, like if they do win this, if they do win this game, I, I, I will say, I, at least in my opinion, I think Brian Kelly probably deserves a lot of the credit for it as well. Yeah, I agree. And part of that now, you know, not looking that much different is that we've already seen Marcus Freeman on the sidelines for Notre Dame, you know, with the headset on. So that's not going to be anything new. And it's not common that Notre Dame just elevates a guy from from coordinator up to up to head coach. Usually, It's an outside hire. So um, that it'll be cool to see him in the head coach role, but it won't necessarily be anything different. It's still going to be Marcus Freeman, you know, bent over on the sideline, hands on his knees, looking, looking like he wants to be out there and hitting somebody. So I love that intensity, but yeah, we'll see him out out there in the green with the headset on. Won't be anything, anything super different, but hopefully we'll uh, 
get to see a little bit of his in-game management and see if uh, see how well he can uh, how, how good of a grasp 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 he has on things. <laughs> grasp. We might have to cut that one out. Was. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> finish your thought. But yeah, we'll just see how good of a grasp he has on things and uh, how he can control a game. I think that's something that you have to experience in order to, to be good at it. You know, people think that they, you know, oh, I would have done this in the game. I would have done that. But until you're on the sidelines calling the shots and maybe you aren't thinking with a, a clear head because you have so many other things going on at once that you might make a bonehead mistake. And Freeman's going to have those, but, you know, maybe he won't. Uh, I'm excited to just see how, how he runs things compared to Kelly. Uh, I was 10 years old when Brian Kelly took over. So the most of uh, Notre Dame football that I remember has been, you know, Brian Kelly and the way that he runs things. So uh, excited to see some changes. Yeah, absolutely. And if things are drastically different, then like, like you said, someone like yourself will, will notice that because that's pretty much all you've known. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think the other thing is like we talk about the Freeman area, Freeman era and the new, in the new era. There, I mean, I think there is an excitement about the game because of that as well, and that certainly plays a role. So I, I don't even want to say that necessarily Notre Dame would have won this game with Brian Kelly if they wouldn't have won it with Freeman or vice versa. Right. So um, I think the idea of them being a little bit more pumped up to play um, under the new head coach it is something to, uh, to, to, to put out there as well. So um so it, it is different for sure. And there's definitely a different vibe just around the Notre Dame campus. And I'm sure someone like yourself who lives very close has probably felt that even a little bit more than maybe I have seen it just on like Twitter and, and social media platforms and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like the first thing everybody like kind of talks about, you know, I tend to wear Notre Dame stuff pretty often. This gives a lot of what I have, but of course I like wearing my Notre Dame stuff. And then people are like, Hey man, how do you feel about Freeman? And you know, it's always a, it's always a good conversation to have with people. And then I'm not sure Nathan, if you saw, the the picture it was above the the Eddie Street Commons where we visited when you came in town um uh and somebody's like it's above the or the Urban Outfitters um up there saw that yeah yeah that Freeman and lights like that's so cool so everybody's taking really well to it but uh, not to be you know the negative guy by any means but I am a little bit worried that if he does lose which won't be necessarily but um you know what what that Bible will be changed or how that's going to work. Yeah, I think that's kind of just the nature of college football and sports in general, and specifically a program and fans like Notre Dame fans that are so passionate overall. You're always going to have the, uh, so like you mentioned, like the Debbie Downers or something like that, but you're going to have sort of like a, it's, it's going to cool off a little bit. So this, this game will certainly kind of pace what the offseason is going to seem like. You know, they win this game everybody's going to be super pumped. They're going to probably be talking about how Notre Dame is going to go 12 and 0 next year and beat Clemson, beat Ohio state opening weekend. And, but if they lose this game, it's going to be like, Oh, first time head coach, Notre Dame is probably going to go nine and three. They're going to lose their big two games. They'll find a way to you to lose to like USC or someone like that as well. And, and then it, maybe people won't be super upset understanding the fact that it is a new head coach and things are going to change. And, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, he's going to make some some bonehead mistakes and so on and so forth, you know, but things are hopefully turning up recruiting wise and and, and, and other facets of the program. So, um, yeah, no, it's I mean, I hope they win, obviously, as a Notre Dame fan and, and an analyst. 
Um, you know, but also because, you know, you want these positive vibes to, to continue throughout the off season. Right. And yeah, I, I do think Notre Dame wins and if they don't, he he's has to lose eventually. So, I mean, it is what it is. I, I would say it's almost likely that Notre Dame drops one of these first two, but if, if they, if they win both, man, everybody's going to be talking about, you know, Freeman's like the, the second coming of Jesus. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're going to rename touchdown Jesus. Right. Uh, in his honor. So <laughs> Um, kind of speaking a little bit more towards the game here, kind of like the X's and O's and the, the depth chart and, and stuff like that. Um, we got into this in our spaces a little bit yesterday. That looks like Cam Hart's going to be out uh, for the game, which means, you know, Tariq Bracey probably slides in as the starter with, uh, with a few of Notre Dame's younger guys as backups. Um, I think Ryan Barnes is actually listed as the backup uh, to Cam Hart, um, according to, to Notre Dame's depth chart. So, you know, maybe he sees some time um, on defense, I think for the first time this year, if that were to be the case, um, you know, maybe Philip Riley. I know Tom Loy mentioned on our spaces yesterday that Philip Riley has been getting a lot of, a lot of talk, you know, sort of behind the scenes. So maybe he gets some play as well. Um, you know, but then obviously the big news is, is obviously Kyle Hamilton, which we expected is, is out um, for this game, just, you know, preparing for the NFL draft and Kyron Williams is going to be out for the same reason, preparing for the NFL draft. But other than those three guys, um, it seems like Notre Dame's – oh, actually, and then Josh Lug obviously is out for uh, for the game as well. So Blake Fisher, who was formerly the starting left tackle at the start of the season, got hurt, you know, halfway through the first game of the year, you know, is going to move – is going is finally healthy and, and ready to go, and he'll play right tackle for Notre Dame, which will, I think, actually be kind of interesting and, and, a, and a, a nice storyline, um, not only leading up to the game and after the game, but during the game. Um, just to see how he performs and and where maybe the offensive line can go from there. But outside of those four guys, I mean, I think overall that's probably pretty good for for uh, a bowl game that's not a playoff game. I mean, you have two injuries, which you know which happens, um, but only two guys opting out and two guys you probably expected to opt out um, in in this situation. Yeah, and those guys didn't come as shocks either. If Notre Dame wasn't going to make the playoff, I would argue even if Kyle Hamilton was healthy, he probably wouldn't play in this. And then uh, Kyron Williams, that's expected. That You can't be disappointed in that. I mean, I guess you could be disappointed. You can't be mad at the guys, though. They're making a business decision. And winning this game, while I'm sure they want to be out there with their brothers or whatever, it doesn't do much for them. And all they have to do is, you know, have something to lose other than, you know, winning a Fiesta Bowl, which is great. But uh, you can't risk the NFL money at the moment. They They all – saw what Jalen what happened to Jalen Smith and I, I hate to keep bringing that up but it is relevant and I think it has changed the landscape of kind of how guys go about things um not only at Notre Dame but other schools around the country because he was a high profile you know bona fide first round pick and then you kind of see he was never really the same guy so I don't even think he's on an NFL roster right now and you thought he'd be like a 10-year like all pro guy so uh it's kind of a shame but it's uh wasn't unexpected yeah, I think he's actually on the, the Giants now. He signed with them later on in the season. But, but yeah, point, point taken. I mean, he's a guy that looked like he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer and has recently had to bounce around to, to kind of make it um, – to kind of make it where he is. So, you know, certainly that, that – I think that's going to play a role. I mean, he's one, maybe one of the first guys that kind of played a role <laughs> for that. I mean, guys were opting out and so on before. I, a little bit before then, but it really wasn't until his injury. And then, you know, now you have, you know, 
NIL involved and stuff like that. The guys are opting out COVID. A lot of guys opted out for the entire season. Like you look at a guy like Jamar Chase, you know, didn't even play his, his junior season of college and was still drafted very high and had a really, really nice rookie season for the Bengals. So um, I think the NFL is sort of understanding of where these kids come from. And I think what it, it used to be maybe considered a, a negative and, you know, you'd get through these like pre-draft interviews and, and stuff like that. And it would be a question like, Hey, why'd you opt out? Like, what's your reasoning? Like, but I, I don't even think that's really a worry to the NFL anymore. They understand that these kids, you know, that's their dream and they want to get paid to play and, or at least paid more to play um, and, you know, get that weekly check and stuff like that. So it's, it's hard to be mad at kids like, like Kyle Hamilton and, and Kyron Williams specifically when, in, in Hamilton's case, you know, he's going to be a top 10 pick and, and Williams's case, you know, he's probably going to at the very least be a, a, a later day two guy um, and probably even higher than that. So, um, and then the running back position just being so fragile, like hit that position in general, just is something that you expect if a kid's a, a, high, a more highly rated uh, player. But, um, but I guess the other the other thing to think about here is these are probably two positions where Notre Dame, even though these were probably their two best players outside of Michael Mayer, um, you know, on the entire, maybe, maybe, maybe throw Isaiah Foskey in there as well, you know, outside of those two guys. I mean, those position groups, I mean, you wouldn't have thought this at the beginning of the year, at least for sa the safety position. Um, but with Hamilton being out the last, you know, five, six weeks, whatever it is, the safety, the safeties that have taken over have sort of progressed and, and really stabilized um, the position overall and, and certainly for the future. Um, and then I know people know how, how me and you feel about Logan Diggs and Audrey Gastame and Chris Tyree, um, but maybe specifically Logan Diggs um, well, you know, now in the future. True. Anytime I tweet about Chris Tyree, I get shit on. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I never say anything negative about the guy, but everybody has such a strong opinion about him. I can't say anything about Diggs or Estime without why you hate Chris Tyree. Right, right. But but again, it, it kind of goes to my point that th those position groups overall are, are at least for this game are strong. I think, and you know, even though you never want to miss guys as talented as as Williams and and Hamilton, um, I think knowing what is behind him or behind both of them you know, it, it kind of softens the blow a bit. Yeah, it does for sure. And then, yeah, even looking forward to next season, we kind of talked with, with Tom Loy last night in our in our Twitter space. Do those on Tuesdays or Wednesdays at about 7 or 8 o'clock. We always uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We both tweeted out, you know, well beforehand. So uh, be sure to join those. If you guys have any questions or anything like that for us, we always get to everybody. But, yeah, the, the running back room just looks so good and in such a good spot right now when you include Jadarian Price in the mix, too. So potentially the best in the last, you know, decade or so for Notre Dame. So super exciting there. And then safety's been a question mark for a while, and uh, it's starting to sort itself out. Um, so, yeah, I like the where the two positions are. And obviously it sucks to lose a generational guy and then probably the best running back you've had in 10 or 12 years in Kyron Williams. Uh, the generational guy being Kyle Hamilton. So two big losses, but I like where the position's at overall. It's in a better position than you say it, it would be in a normal uh, Notre Dame cycle, I guess. And transitioning a little bit, I mean, I think with with safety in general, like and, and maybe cornerback as well. I mean, we've seen over the last you know five six years that linebacker and defensive line have been major strengths for Notre Dame. Obviously. 
the defense overall has been major strengths under Notre Dame since Mike Elko came in a few years back um, and then passed the torch to Clark Lee and then Marcus Freeman thereafter. But it's been the secondary minus a few guys like Kyle Hamilton, Julian Love, and, and a few others um, as well. My, minus, minus those guys, you, it's sort of been a weakness of the roster. Not sort and, of. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, you know me, I'm always going to spin it a little bit more positively, <laughs> positively than I should. But, but I think it's, it's starting to trend up. Um, you saw last year that, you know, I think Notre Dame signed six or seven guys um, and, you know, on the defensive, in the defensive backfield. I mean, none of them really saw time this year. Uh, one has since transferred out in Kari G, who I think was probably going to end up moving to linebacker or, or rover um, anyways. But, you know, you, you signed six guys last year. Um, a couple of them were very highly regarded, like Philip Riley, um, I think was was the main one. Um, and a couple other guys, I think maybe due to COVID, didn't have the ranking boost that they that they should have had. But certainly the offer list, like I think Ryan Barnes had a legitimate offer from Clemson, which, you know, is, is a big deal for secondary guys. So, um, and, you know, and then this year you, you sign only three guys, but all two of them are four stars. One of them's a, very close to a four star and has elite speed. Um, and then next year you have already in the class, Justin Rett, who's a top 150 player, Adon Schuler, who's also a top 150 player. And then hopefully here in a couple of days, um, I know me and you both believe that Peyton Bowen is, is going to commit to Notre Dame on January 1st. So uh, already a really, really strong three-man class with several other guys um, considering Notre Dame. I know Christian Gray is another guy. Um, out of the same high school as Jordan Johnson, actually, that, um, you know, Notre Dame is, is favored for. And uh, there's definitely more that we could talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, secondary recruiting is, is definitely trending up. Absolutely. And, yeah, when you mentioned Peyton Bowen and what this two-cycle class could look like in terms of defensive backs, it's probably the best we've seen maybe in my, in my 21 years, almost 22 years watching Notre Dame. So it's just super exciting because that's what I've been saying for the longest time is that between receiver, you need game-changing receivers, and then you need the guys that can stop those receivers. Because Notre Dame has done a great job getting pass rushers. That's the other one, and then quarterback. So I guess four big things. And uh, Notre Dame's moving itself into a better position in all of those, I, I believe. And so even in such a good position that Peyton Bowen's teammate, who is himself is a, I believe is around a top 200 player in Ryan Yates. And I don't even know if he's a take for Notre Dame right now. And in other years, he'd be an automatic take. Like, you don't, those guys don't come around. And it seems like if Notre Dame was to push for him, I'd imagine that, that he might want to come with Peyton Bowen. I don't know the kid personally, but that just kind of seems to be the vibe around what, around his recruitment and the way he speaks about Notre Dame. So uh, just crazy, man. And we were talking on those bases last night as well, that, they're uh, the quarterback that uh, Peyton Bowen's quarterback Jackson Arnold too uh, he could be a Notre Dame guy so imagine pulling three three guys out of the same school all to Notre Dame out of the heart of Texas that'd be something yeah yeah I mean Notre Dame like you know they'll land one or two guys out of Texas every couple of years I mean they probably have one one guy a year I guess maybe on average on the roster um, you know you look at the roster right now you have Avery Davis from Texas you have Jadarian Price coming in Nana Safa Mensa, but you know, to get guys that are to get three guys possibly in one cycle, maybe more if they're, if, I don't even really, I'd have to look at, you know, some of the offers and stuff like that. I don't really know right now if they have any other guys that they're considering from Texas. I'm sure they do. They always offer guys um, with the hopes that they'll come in, but 
definitely a talent rich state. So the more the merrier um, coming from Texas will certainly help Notre Dame in regards to, to, you know, building that brand up to Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson levels um, over the last couple of years. Yeah. Give me everybody, you know, just about from Texas, Florida, California, where Notre Dame has been succeeding and then a lot of success in Georgia as well. So yeah, keep on, keep on recruiting those areas. Yeah. And maybe we can steal a few from Brian Kelly down in Louisiana, which would be, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah, it would be would pretty uh, be pretty sweet for some Notre Dame fans to see that. So, um, well, moving on again here, we'll uh, I, we we're gonna do kind of like our traditional, um, you know, game preview. Um, if you've been following the Golden Homers here over the last you know several weeks um, prior to the, uh, the to the regular season ending, uh, we always did bold predictions. We always did. We always do our, our game predictions, and then we do our buy or sell. And so we're going to start this off with our with our buy or sell. And I think Mason has a couple of uh, stuff for here for the uh, for game day for us. You want to start off with buy or sell? Yeah, let's do buy or sell first. All right. So the first one I have, I think that Logan Diggs is going to be the lead guy. So Nathan, I'm going to ask you this first, and I'll follow up with my answer. Over or under eighty. Let's go 880 total yards for Logan Diggs. I think total yards, he'll, he'll be over for sure. I mean, Oklahoma State's a good defense, um, but at the same time, as a lead back at Notre Dame, I think the offensive line is, is definitely better than it was at the beginning of the year. And I do, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a big test for them, but I, I do think that they're going to perform at least, at least adequate. Uh, and I think, uh, and, and Tom mentioned this yesterday, Logan Diggs is such a patient runner that I think he's one of those guys that's going to be able to pick up five or six yards when you don't really expect him to, because he's going to be able to find that hole that maybe other guys wouldn't find that are just trying to burst through the hole. Um, I know a guy like Sebo Flemister, for example, like as much as I liked him as a runner, he was a guy that, you know, if you put him down on fourth and one, you know, he's getting those yardage, but he didn't, he wasn't like a, he didn't really see everything as well as maybe he, maybe a Logan Diggs does. So in, in times that you want someone to pick up five or six yards, I wouldn't necessarily trust a guy like Flemister to do that, but I do trust it with Diggs. And then not, not only that, but he's a big guy um, at the same time. I think he's, you know, he's already pretty, probably two, around 220-ish. Uh, I don't think he's listed at that, but I just wouldn't be surprised if he's like around six foot, 215, 220. Um, and, then, and then he's a, a pass catcher out of the backfield. I mean, he's, if he's going to be the lead guy, I think he's going to catch two or three, four balls, bare minimum um, throughout the game, you know, whether that's a screen, you know, or, or a, a flat route out of the backfield, something like that. So I think 80 yards is, I don't want to say that it's, it, it's not a good, it's not a good over underlying because I think it is. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes way over that, to be honest. So I'm actually going to sell it, not because I don't like Diggs. I think he is in store for potentially a big game, but I think Chris Tyree is going to be involved. And um, so I think he's going to do a lot of the, a lot of pass catching. And I think a fully healthy Chris Tyree, we haven't seen that really this season outside of a couple of the first games. So um, for everybody that likes to get on me on Twitter, this is me (laughs) up Chris Tyree. So we might have to clip this up and I'll tag those people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think Tyree's going to be involved. I think Estime is going to be involved. You know, run it up the gut on a third and one or something like that, potentially. So uh, I, I hope that, that Diggs is over 80 total yards. Um, and I think that if he gets closer to that 100 range, 
that's really good. That's a really good thing for Notre Dame. And I think that likely means Notre Dame wins if he's, you know, having a great day, a hundred yards, touchdown or two. So um, yeah, I'm going to sell that, but yeah, I think that 80 line is the 80 yard line is definitely interesting. And, and you bring up a good point with Tyree. I mean, right now Tyree is listed, I think as the number one on the depth chart. I forget if it said or, or not with Logan Diggs, um, like yeah. Notre Dame used to do, but it, Chris Tyree could, you know, maybe he's just the lead guy and we, and we're not really considering that option, but if, but if Logan Diggs is the lead guy, then I think 80, 80 total yards is very attainable. All right. So now Nathan, what I'm going to go with, so for the Notre Dame defensive line in total, not just a, not just one, you know, one player mm. over or under four and a half sacks. I'm going to go sell four and a half sacks. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to sell that. Uh, I think, Another really good line, actually. I'll say they get like three to four, and I think that's very good in general. Um, I, I'm tempted to go over only because I do think that Sanders, if you can get in his head, he has shown like, you know, the Baylor game's a really good example of a guy that just was was like essentially mentally not there after like the first drive or two. Um, you know, Baylor was able to get to him. He, you know, he, he they got in his head. And he just, because of that, had a really bad game. And you could probably blame some of the sacks and interceptions strictly on him and not pass protection. So if, uh, if Notre Dame is able to get to him often, uh, or early, I should say, early, then I think that will turn into often. And, uh, and it could go over. But for right now, I'll probably stick with under and say they get probably ex almost exactly four or maybe hit four and a half right on the line. I'm going to go with. I'm going to buy it, you know, over four and a half. I think Foskey's going to get five himself. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> I'll bet. He's um, leaving if he does that, Mason. Yeah, you know what? Maybe not then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I haven't – I can't think of somebody in recent memory where it's, like, so widely known or just, like, almost accepted the, yeah, this guy's mentality is wild. Like, if you get in his head, it's, like, over with. As, and when you're, you know, re referencing Sanders. So, yeah, that Baylor game was super weird. And, uh, yeah, if he throws an early interception or something like that, we could see this game turn on its head really, really fast. So, um, kind of hoping for that, you know, a strip sack or something like that. Foskey's always good for one of those. But, yeah, I think Notre Dame will get five or six. I think this defensive line's too good to not. I know that their, uh, their offensive line's pretty solid as well. But I think that Sanders can get himself into mistakes sometimes and maybe – try to force it in a big game against Notre Dame where he might be feeling that pressure a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and, and buy over four and a half sacks. Uh, I don't think it'll be my much. I think they do end up getting five though. And I think the other reason why they might not get to it is he's a guy that when you get into his head, he might just throw, he might just throw one away or throw one into a triple coverage or something like that before he gets sacked. And so I think there could be some pressures on him where it's like, okay, Maybe Jack Cohn, for example, gets sacked there and just takes the negative five yards or, or, or what it is, um, which I, maybe we haven't given Cohn enough credit for this year in that regard is just not making like that horrendous play, at least on a consistent basis, um, and just kind of taking what happens. And, but I think Sanders is one of those guys that could just chuck one up um, when, when the pressure's there. And you know maybe, maybe they have four sacks, but like 12 pressures or something like that 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 lead to two or three interceptions. I gotcha. All right. Last one here. Going to go with the stars. tight end Michael May or Nathan over or under seven reception. I keep saying over or under buy or sell seven receptions for Michael Mayer. I'm going to go over. Um, I do think that they have a game plan for him. Um, Notre Dame does, uh, I should say. And I do, I also think Oklahoma state has a game plan for him as well. 
Um, but he's just too talented. Um, I think he, I think he gets seven receptions. Um, I'm not going to say Notre Dame's going to force it to him to try to like have him break the the touchdown record because I just don't think that's how you operate during a game, um, especially in an important game like this one. I mean, maybe you do that against Stanford if you only needed one more or something like that. But uh, seven or so, I mean, that's probably about his average this year anyway. Um, and in a big bowl game where I think, you know, you want your best player to be involved without uh, Kyron Williams um, on the offense with you you know, you're gonna, you're gonna force feed him a little bit, but partly because he's going to be open because he's that good. Um, so yeah, I'll say he gets anywhere from like eight to 10 receptions. Yep. I agree. This is the first one that we agree on. I'm going to buy it. I think Michael Mayer, yeah, you, you, you said it perfectly. They're not going to force it to him, but he's a big part of the offense. He's a kind of a safety blanket. He, uh, I mean, he apparently is not a Mackey finalist. Uh, he's not one of the, <laughs> the tight ends in the country. So I'm told, but definitely is. I'm not, there's nobody in the country I'd take over him. Uh, he's a matchup nightmare. He's a freak with the ball in his hands. He, he can do it all. So I think that he's going to be targeted early and often between him and uh, Kevin Austin. So a little, little rhyme by me there. And um, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I, I think he does end up in that eight to 10 range. Hopefully, hopefully two touchdowns, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So I understood the quick math here. He's actually averaging about six yard or six uh, receptions a game. So going seven would be a little bit over his norm. Um, I think he played a few games kind of hurt though as well. And he missed a game with that, with that one injury he had. So I mean, that maybe sort of deflated his stats a bit, but um, I think in, in a big game like this, eight to 10 seems very, very likely um, if not what you want for sure. And two touchdowns. And, and well, four touchdowns. If we're going, if we're saying Fossey's getting five sacks, we might as well say he gets four and just breaks the record by a lot. Let's do it. <laughs> you never know. I mean, what was it? What, what, was it the bowl game? Ready for prediction? What's up? You say for predictions? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was going to say, like, wasn't it Claypool a few years back that had three or four touchdowns in the bowl game against Iowa? Oh, State? yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember he uh, played a big day. And I was at the uh, Notre Dame Navy game, and he had like five in like the or like three in the first half or something nuts like that. Yeah, so it's like mandatory that someone goes off and just like wins MVP by a wide margin. I'm cool so. with it being fair. <laughs> yeah, so let's go ahead. Let's go to game predictions. Uh, or let's, or let's do uh, bold predictions first, actually. Um, okay, so um, my staple, everybody knows my staple. Um, the freshman touchdown, not uh, freshman receiver touchdown, I guess, not doing it <laughs> myself. So uh, I, I we already talked. I was going to be that Michael Mayer catches two touchdowns. So uh, I'm going to say, shoot. Yeah, I'm going to roll with that. I, I do think he catches two touchdowns. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I think a lot of people would enjoy that if it happened. I'm going to go more of a team, a team thing here. Um, I mentioned this yesterday on our spaces, but the only time someone has gone over 24 points um, against Oklahoma State this year was uh, the Oklahoma game uh, right before they played the uh, Big 12 championship game against Baylor. Uh, and I think Notre Dame will become the second team to do that, but I also think that they're going to score in the 30s. So not only is Notre Dame going to surpass their, uh, you know, that that 24 margin mark, but I think that they're going to get up in like that 31, 35 range. Um, and, and another bold prediction, I think Jack Cohn maybe has like four touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers. Uh, I think he kind of leaves Notre Dame looking really good in his bowl game and maybe 
maybe gets himself drafted uh, as part of it too. So um, those are kind of a dual, sort of a dual uh, bold prediction. I think Notre Dame's offense uh, does very well, gets into the 30s, and then Jack Cohn performs very well and, you know, maybe puts up a four spot um, touchdown-wise. I would like that. So I'm going to – I'm going to go ahead and roll with my prediction here. I've been kind of going back and forth. I also think Notre Dame manages to get in the thirties, but not by much. My prediction for the game is going to be 31 20 Notre Dame. I think relatively low scoring. It, it would break the, or go over the, the over under set on the game. I think Notre Dame can do it. I don't know if it'll all be the offense. I can see a, you know, a turnover or Chris Tyree breaks one, a pick six kind of scoop and score kind of action. I think it's going to take something like that that could break the game open and maybe it's a late touchdown that you know 31 20 is decently comfortable it's two scores but uh maybe it won't it'll be that you know kind of close throughout and Notre Dame breaks away at the end but yeah I'm just I'm going with 31 20 Notre Dame this game gives me a lot of Iowa State vibes from a few years back um I, I do think they're maybe a little bit more talented than Iowa State was but just in general I think it's just the the the, the minus two spread is a little weird to me. I think Notre Dame should be closer to like a touchdown spread favorite. Um, you know, at least maybe like five and a half or something like that. But, um, and I kind of thought that that was going to be the case when it, when it really, when it originally came out, but it's actually, I think gone down. I think originally it was like minus three or so. And then it went down to like minus one and a half and now it's minus two. So um, I don't think they'll beat, Oklahoma State like they did Iowa State I think that game was like what 33 to 7 or something like that um, I don't know if it's going to be that bad of a margin but part of me like as we get closer to this game the more and more confident I am that the Notre Dame defense is going to be able to perform uh, well and I, I think they're going to get I think they're going to get to Spencer Sanders and they're going to get in his head and he's not going to have a very good game overall um, so I'm I'll go somewhere kind of in like kind of the same range you did with the 31 points um i'll go 32 to uh 17 how do you even score 32 i don't know let's go 35 17 screw it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah let's go or 30 we'll go 33 we'll, we'll say the same thing as iowa state if i'm not if i'm not mistaken i think they scored 33 against iowa state we'll go 33 17 um okay. i think one of those touchdowns is a late touchdown so maybe it's a little bit closer um you know, kind of in the fourth quarter or whatever, but Notre Dame puts it away. Um, and then at least if you weren't watching and you're kind of a box score watcher, it looks like Notre Dame won, you know, very decisively. But I think they control the uh, the outcome of the game from start to finish. So with 33, you're anticipating a big day from John Doerr, huh? Yeah, at least a few field goals in there. Maybe, maybe you get a safety or something like that that makes things interesting. I don't know. Um, I always like doing kind of those weird predictions where, you know, you just never know what the score is going to be of something and the traditional like 35, whatever that means, like there's like no field goals, essentially. Right. I, I hate predicting those type of type of outcomes. So like the 31 that you mentioned made a lot of sense because it puts in like one or two field goals. But, you know, maybe there's a random safety in there. Maybe there's a, you know, a missed a missed extra point somewhere. I don't know. But we'll go uh, we'll go 33, 17. All right. I like it. But uh but yeah, guys, that's pretty much all we have for you today. Um, you know, obviously, if you listen to our spaces, we brought a lot to you guys there. And that's one thing that myself and Mason are, are really enjoying right now that we can not only put our, our knowledge and, you know, just our input and stuff like that to you guys, you know, multiple times per week.
um, but, you know, answer more fan questions, you know, get to talk to you guys more and, you know, probably become a little bit more aware of what you guys want us to talk about on our podcast as well. Um, so if you missed our spaces yesterday, um, like Mason said earlier in the podcast, we're planning on doing that, you know, middle of the week, probably anywhere from like seven to nine Eastern time um, on a weekly basis. And then obviously we have our podcast as well, but uh, we will try to get to you guys, you know, not immediately after the bowl game, but certainly the, the week after. Um, so if, you know, obviously the bowl game being on Saturday, we'll, we'll try to get you get in front of you guys in some capacity, um, you know, Monday or Tuesday, and then later in the week, uh, whichever one we did not do, um, we will, we will do the other, but I think for, and I think Mason, you, you would echo these comments. I think for the most part, we would like to do our podcast first Monday or Tuesdays, most weeks, and then do our, our spaces, um, on Twitter, probably like later in the week, like Thursday or Friday, but, uh, um, as the off season goes on, we'll probably figure out a newer plan. Maybe we won't do a podcast or spaces on a weekly basis just because there might not be enough to talk about, but. Um, yeah. And you know, life gets in the way sometimes. And so we always, we try to make it known, you know, when we're recording and when we're doing Twitter spaces, but on that subject, uh, big shout out to you guys. We, our numbers have been steadily rising now and have really continued to rise and especially on, on Twitter spaces. So we had our most viewers ever this, this past uh, time, so a lot of good questions as well. We love the interaction and we really appreciate all the support you guys have given us hoping to keep these numbers rising. So we really, we enjoy what we do and uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying listening. So we, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the off season, we'll spice some things up. We'll try to, you know, let you guys know when we're going to record so you can give us some questions for the podcast. Um, and, and as you know, like if you, even if, or if you were just to look at our graphic, um, there are two baseball players in that graphic, and we have not really gotten to to that uh, too often um, this year so far. But we definitely plan to bring you Cubs and Sox talk as well, maybe some general baseball talk, as me and Mason follow, um, you know, Major League Baseball very uh, very carefully. Um, and then, as you know, I mean, a lot of you already know because I've mentioned it a few times. But I work in baseball, so it, it's definitely a passion of mine. And I know Mason is very passionate about the the White Sox. Um, in baseball in general. Um, and then, you know, obviously we'll bring some other stuff your guys' way too. Uh, fantasy football every now and then, maybe not as much in the off season with it, you know, ending here soon, but, you know, we can talk NFL. We'll talk, you know, National Hockey League. Uh, Mason loves, Mason loves the English Premier League and soccer. So if anybody of you are big fans of that, we don't mind bringing that into the, into the discussion as well. So we're, we're here for, Notre Dame chat, but just general chat as well. Maybe we can start that in our spaces to kind of get things rolling. Yeah, absolutely. We love talking all sports. You and I follow a lot of things closely, maybe too closely to where, you know, it takes <laughs> up a lot of time, but I love it. I love talking all sports. So yeah, anything you guys want to bring at us, uh, we're down for it. Absolutely. But thanks Fred, guys for joining us this week. Uh, this should be up actually. I'm going to try to get this up today. Um, so if any of you are kind of late listeners, you can listen to it. Um, but if not, then, you know, tomorrow morning on Friday, you'll have a, a full day to kind of get into this before, before Notre Dame takes on Oklahoma state. So um, again, I think it's uh, a 1 PM start time Eastern uh, for the Fiesta bowl, uh, 10 AM. If you're on the West coast, like myself, uh, Notre Dame, Oklahoma state on January 1st. And then you guys will also hopefully get some good news with Peyton Bowen, the safety out of Texas. Um, he is announcing pre uh, from my understanding, before the uh, Fiesta Bowl, 
um, on the first as well. So hopefully we get kind of double good news there, but um, hope you guys enjoy the, enjoy the new year, be safe. Uh, don't do anything dumb in the meantime. Hey, it's Nathan from the golden homers here to tell you about meetupvegas.com. Want to eat the same quality meats that the great chefs in Las Vegas use? I got the hookup for you. Delivered straight to your front door, meetupvegas.com offers steaks, pork chops, premium chicken breasts, prime rib, you name it. Check out meetupvegas.com and use code IRISH10 at checkout to receive $10 off your order.